listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to The Big Album Show. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. Thanks so much for listening to our show. If you haven't already, please do listen back to our previous episodes. In this episode, we're going to talk about the classic album by Nirvana, Nevermind. It's the second studio album by the American rock band, released on September 24th, 1991. And it was their first album to include the brilliant Dave Grohl on drums. Nevermind became an unexpected critical and commercial success, knocking Michael Jackson's Dangerous, great album as well, off the top position in the US of A. Produced by Butch Vig, who was also the producer and drummer in the band Garbage, this album is iconic, it changed music, it deals with all sorts of themes in a sometimes caustic and yet poppy way. Paul, what are your thoughts on this classic album? Well, well, Dan, great introduction there. I mean, there's so much that could be said about this uh, album that it, it could require a series of, of podcasts um, just to cover the 13 tracks on the album alone. Indeed, a song like Smells Like Teen Spirit could easily take up uh, an entire podcast. I mean, Nirvana, for me, were the defining grunge band. Uh, the grunge rock sound defined American rock music in the 90s. And Nevermind was a defining album from Nirvana. Um, what I love about Nirvana is that, you know, similar to Jesus, uh, you know, when you look at time and the way time goes in rock music, I think you have... You know, you have a rock scene before Nirvana and you have a rock scene after Nirvana. I think it's possible to think about it in those terms, Dan, you know, because they, they ended that period of kind of hair rock, you know? Yeah. You know, the kind of, the big, I mean, Aerosmith kind of survived, but most of them didn't. And the ones that did survive, they were never the same again. Um, and they, the intensity of Nevermind, only an album so intense can manage to do that. So it's era-defining as you say, it changed music. You've got music before Nevermind and music after Nevermind. Um, and it's it it had such a deep cultural effect on people, you know, the grunge scene all over the world. Um, so icons, legends, brilliant music uh, right throughout this album. And, you know, I just want to make reference to something. Did you see the film The Wrestler, Dan? Do you remember The Wrestler with Mickey Work? Yeah, I do. I, I I know of it. I can't really remember much of it. What, what, what was a, there's Nirvana a great in that? scene with, with Mickey Rourke. Mickey was a, playing a playing a wrestler in that, and he was coming. It was called The Wrestler, and and it's a great movie for people who haven't seen it. And Mickey is kind of he's reestablishing his wrestling. Uh, you know, he's doing his wrestling. Uh, you know, he's doing his wrestling, and <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we won't go into the film. We talk about Kurt Cobain and and, and and Nirvana instead, but. There's a great scene in a bar with him and Marisa Tomei, and they're talking about the, the music from Guns N' Roses and the kind of th- that kind of music. And he says, he, he says, you know, that that Corbain pussy had to come and ruin it all. Um, and 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 Tomei says, yeah, like there's not something wrong with having a good time because Nirvana are a heavy band. I mean, there's not I mean they're 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 heavy, they're intense, and never mind. Is an intense listening, isn't it, Dan? I mean, when you go back and listen to it again, I mean, this is 13 tracks that are serious and that are intense and take it into that never mind Nirvana world, which is very much Kurt Cobain's world, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Like, it is a heavy album. It does, though, contain great pop elements, which we'll come to in a minute. But I just want to comment on your amazing take that Nirvana kind of changed rock music, you know, ended the hair metal, you know, phase of Kills. Van Halen, Guns N' yeah. Roses, Aerosmith, all of that. I agree completely. Um, and it did change the kind of... Uh, tone of rock music at that particular period you know nirvana talks about themes such as irony alienation apathy like their music is very ironic in that even like it is heavy music but it's kind of constructed in a very pop fashion and i think there's reasons for that irony and here's some hot takes for you now paul I think if we look at the period of time we're talking about, we're talking about the late 80s, early 90s, when Nirvana were coming to the fore. And if you think about what was happening in the world, right, Kurt Cobain, he's from a place in Washington called Aberdeen. It was a kind of an industrial working class city. Its main industry would have been kind of a wood production, timber production. You would have had sawmills, etc. A lot of those shut down during the 1970s and the 1980s during that period of uh, Reaganomics. And then you have in the early 90s, the fall of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. So up until the end of the 1980s, you have American young people. They are promised the land of the free. Their, their, their fathers, their, their mothers, they have decent, good working class jobs working in these sawmills. They're promised that when America, the US of A, wins the Cold War, life will be better and they, 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 they will get liberty. And then the industries dry up, the Cold War ends. And then, of course, what's reflected in music, the apathy of young people, irony, alienation, all of these things emerge and they emerge in the early 90s through the grunge scene, through the music of Nirvana and through the fashion as well. So if you look at hair metal, it's all kind of uh, very theatrical, you know, with the hair and, and the whole shebang. Nirvana, on the other hand, they dress like ordinary working class kids. They wear their check shirts, their ripped jeans, their their dirty uh, Converse All Star shoes, um, and 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 that is my hot take on the kind of cultural reasons why Nirvana emerged as such a force in the early nineteen nineties. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely spot on, Dan. And for me, Nirvana, you, you know, it, the, and and the grunge scene and what they represented. I mean, you. Can, Generation after generation finds Nirvana and generation after generation appears with the T-shirt, which I'm sure we get back to later. And you mentioned the clothes and, you know, so what often when you're looking at these big albums, you're looking not just at the music, but you're looking at the effect they had. And I mean, what a massively influential band they were. And you're absolutely right to reference that. I mean, one of the things about Nirvana as well is for me, Nirvana were the first time that I saw, let's just quote, say, a dark side of American culture. There's more, I mean, you, I mean, there's a lot of darkness, but it was it was the first time that I had witnessed a kind of a darker side because before, you know, I was very familiar with, say, big 80s movies, 
a lot of the American music, the optimism, the positivity, the yay, USA kind of stuff. This was a totally different snapshot into America when you listen to Nirvana's music, when you listen to Nevermind. And I mean, the lyrics are incredible and they are era-defining. Now, people who are familiar with Nevermind will, will know that you know, it's easy now to figure out the lyrics. And you've talked about this on a previous podcast, Dan. It's easy now to figure out the lyrics because you just you just can Google search them and you'll find them. But when you listen to an album like Nevermind, it can be hard to uh, figure out some of the times what Court is saying. Um, but I mean, for me, the opening track on the album, you know, really, again, it's it's just terrific. Smells like teen spirit. And, and the lyrics in that, it references maybe what you're saying, the apathy. He says, I feel stupid and contagious. Here we now. Here, here we are now, entertain us. And there's something in that. It's a sort of reflection on, on passive entertainment and what's presented on a plate in front of you. And that's a kind of a reflection for me on what you might call the MTV generation. You remember that bit with, with Lisa Simpson from the 90s, you know, at home yeah. where she says, we're the MTV generation and, and we feel we feel neither good nor bad or whatever. It was. And we feel neither highs or lows. And Homer goes, what's it like? And she goes, nah. You know, and there's something in that, weren't it? Because this was a massive MTV band. And of course, they did the MTV Unplugged, but huge play, huge rotation on MTV. Um, and at that time, you know, I remember very clearly when I when I first heard about Nirvana, MTV was the preferred, you know, I suppose it was the preserve of cable only households. You had to have the Sky Dish and not many people had that. Um, and, you know, on MTV, I remember if you went to someone's house who did have uh, MTV, you'd f- often will come up the um, the incredible um, video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. You'd often see the tunes on the, the great MTV uh, Unplugged Nirvana album from New York. Um, and as I said, I think you're absolutely onto something there about the culture and just how influential uh, they were. Dan, do you remember, in terms of Ireland, how influential the grunge scene was in Ireland in the 90s? Yeah, I do. Like, I, 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 de- I have, rem- I have uh, memories um, as a child of wearing the kind of check shirts and the Converse shoes because it was that kind of mainstream um, that it, it, it kind of seeped into popular culture in general. And, um, you know, I was, I was relatively young in the early 90s, but later on towards the end of the 90s, I got into grunge a big big time i used to have all the nirvana t-shirts i used to hang around uh, in dublin around a place called temple bar music center where they used to have them um, all day gigs and we were nirvana mad like there, there wasn't a kind of a, a magazine or a or a you know a, a vhs video on nirvana that one of us didn't have and we used to share them with each other um, and they were a, a big influence on so many young people because you know, if you think a teenage life, you think of the themes um, and Nirvana talk about whether it be apathy, alienation, all of those things. You know, there's times in every teenager's life where they feel those feelings. And well, Nirvana... It doesn't, it doesn't stop there, Dan. It keeps going. Oh, that's, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. And the thing about Nirvana is that there is so much depth and cleverness to Nirvana's music that sure, most people kind of get into them in their teens, but there's certainly a band that have followed me through life. Like they're a band I still listen to. I still put on those, uh, 
the, 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 those uh, CDs or, or on Spotify in the car. And the other thing about it is, you know, this album was Dave Grohl's first album with Nirvana. He, of course, replaced Chad Channing, who was the earlier uh, drummer that played on the album Bleach and did some of the demos for this album. But uh, I think he, he left after a mutual decision of the band. He, I think it was felt he really couldn't kind of um, encapsulate in reality, what Kurt could hear in his mind, because of course, Kurt, of course, Kurt Cobain also played the drums, so he had a great feeling for you know the various different elements of the music. And along comes Dave Grohl, um, an incredible musician who has, in many respects, become you know the the grandfather of rock. I know he's not that old, but like he went on to, to start the Foo Fighters, and um, going from being a drummer to an incredible frontman guitarist. Um, I, I saw the Foo Fighters play concert play a concert twice and uh they're just an incredible act and uh, this is where we're introduced to dave Grohl in um nevermind well it's where you know m- most people were introduced to him yeah couldn't agree more dan he's a, an absolutely key player on the on the album the drums are absolutely terrific on this record and you take the t- the first three songs i think got smells like teen spirit in blue and come as you are one two three and I mean, the intensity of that, like, and the drums are a big, big part of the success um, of, of of the record. Just a, an interesting thing you, you mentioned there, but the, that's a great memory, actually, about Temple Bar in Dublin. I'm, I'm not, I don't think that's still the case that you've got the, what were called the Temple Bar Kids, yeah. which is the kind of the grunge, uh, you had the grunge thing, and then that kind of slight crossover into metal. And you probably had people who experimented with different types of, you know, different types of clothing and so on in there. The, the thing about all, all of that scene was, I mean, it definitely was a scene in Ireland in the late 90s and early 2000s at Temple Bar Kids. Glad to know that you were you were a part of that then. But I, I, I was I was probably a bit, I, I remember, I do were very, you were very, very cool. No, no, I was, you were you were walking around with your strokes haircut. I, I wasn't good <laughs> enough. I was hoping that I was hoping to get involved. I was intimidated. You guys, you were, were you know. But I remember very well. Um, and I, someone in UCD who I knew very well um, actually wrote a thesis about it, and it was called the Temple Bar Kids. Right. And of course, that's the kind of thing you can do in UCD. You can go and do a thesis about the Temple Bar Kids, and um, he did it. And he went down and did all these interviews with them. Of course, the Temple Bar Kids of that era would now be about forty. Uh, so Temple Bar middle aged, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's a nice memory to have. And you know, the, the Nirvana were the whole package, weren't they? And there was something you could buy into the music, the clothes, the you know, the, the critique, um, and you know, the, you could still to this day, you know, if you go to the, that T-shirt stop, shop on Liffey Street, um, and that that shop if it's still there, you know, the the strange little one on top of Stevens Green where they where they sell all the kind of Bob Marley details and all that kind of stuff, you know, the the, the Nirvana T-shirts, you know, I mean, they, that is the gift that keeps on giving. There was a lovely guy and and as named, he's no longer with us sadly, and um, but he, he used to sell T-shirts all over Dublin, and you'd see him on O'Connell Bridge there, and you used to, you'd often see him with the Nirvana T-shirts. And um, so, you know, yeah, great, you know, great memories. I mean, getting on to the music, I mean, there's a few interesting Irish connections, which will come back to the Belfast connection. And of course, the core connection, there has to be a core connection, of course. And um, my top tracks, Dan, Smells Like Teen Spirit for me is number one. Um, love it, love everything about it, love how it defines the band sound, love how, how successful it is. Now, of course, the success brought huge problems for Court and brought problems for the band, but but I mean, there's so much to say about all of this that you'd be here forever doing it, but in terms of the the most famous tune, their, you know, that incredible video, it Smells Like Teen Spirit, just a fantastic track, gets my number one. I go Come As You Are, number two, 
and probably it's a tricky one for me to but I, I'd probably say something in the way um number three but I mean it's tricky to do that but I mean I go I that would be my top three but for Come As You Are and Something In The Way, the best versions of those for me are available on the MTV Unplugged. That incredible session that they did from New York, um, it's iconic, it's incredible. If you're not familiar with it, check it out. Anyone who knows Nirvana would be familiar with it. Uh, but that's my top three. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I think you, you've picked really well there. Um, and uh, you're right, that MTV Unplugged um, session is just iconic like that was actually the first kind of nirvana album i actually owned and uh it was on tape and i played the tape i actually picked up the tape in uh, cumberland street market in dublin um back in the day and i must have played the tape so much that uh it, it, it wore it down you know but um and then something in the way is an incredibly kind of soft song i think he he actually recorded lying down on a couch um, to, uh, and on an old guitar with just five strings, it's a really cheap guitar, but it has a wonderful, wonderful sound. But look, my, my I could have picked any of the songs off this album. I love each and every one of them. Um, but I went for um, Breathe in Bloom and Drain You, and I'll briefly tell you why. So first of all, Breathe, right? It starts off with really fast, uh, you know, drums from Dave Grohl. And I love the kind of repetitive nature of the song. I think Kurt Cobain was massively in, well, I know he was massively influenced by John Lennon and the Beatles. And you can hear that right throughout the album. Now, some people might go, ah, that's a daft thing to say, but I'll tell you what I mean. Breathe, for instance, as a song, very repetitive lyrics, very kind of um, pop structure. Um, and it reminds me of almost like a heavy version of, you know, she loves you or I want to hold your hand in terms of the way it's structured. Um, now that might be a daft comparison, but even down to the way Kurt double tracks his vocals on most of the the, the, the songs on the album, you know, when the producer first, uh, Butch Vig first suggested that, Kurt wasn't mad on the idea and uh, Butch encouraged Kurt to do it. And um, by saying that John Lennon did it on his songs, then you have "In Bloom" had a quality video to it. Again, you have the the, the Beatles link in the video because uh, in the music video, Nirvana are pretending to be on a show, kind of like the uh, Ed Sullivan show, which mm. um, was a show yes, in America really in the nineteen sixties that used to kind of feature loads of different bands. But again, it's a really really good uh, song, driven by kind of distorted guitars, but um, with a pop structure and then the uh, the other the third one i picked then was drain you um so kurt has these kind of weird lyrics um apparently he was fascinated with kind of medical terminology and <laughs> and weird things like that um so he has some very very strange lyrics in this song but ultimately it's kind of like a i suppose it's 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 like a kind of a twist on the love song um but like Kurt's lyrics are, are are incredibly strange. They can be incredibly deep, and they can be incredibly incredibly dark. But one of the things I th always think about uh, Kurt Cobain's lyrics, and um, as well as all those things, is that they are incredibly playful. And I feel that Kurt Cobain was someone who who played with the English language a lot. And oftentimes, I think his his, his words weren't intended to mean anything at all. Just like John Lennon when he wrote like. 
I am the walrus, and it was kind of nonsense words. Kurt Cobain used the same kind of, uh, um, you know, same kind of style in his lyrics. One of the songs on the album, he, he says, like, the black sheep, uh, got blackmailed again, but forgot to put on the zip code. And people read these lyrics and they look for these deep, dark, hidden meanings. And I think oftentimes Kurt's just having a bit of a laugh. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting you should say that, Dan. I mean, the, the lyrics from me, when when I read them, I suppose I, I do tend to interpret them quite seriously, to be honest with you. But you're right, though. I mean, there's a, there's a number, the, the, like Cobain was, was, was complex and I think one of the reasons he, he he attracted at the time an incredibly loyal uh, group of followers, group of, I don't want to say followers, it's not the right word, fans from all over the world, but people were definitely more than fans um, of Kurt Cobain. And of course, the, the celebrity thing was so became so hugely problematic for him and the role of the record label. And But I mean, I remember back, they were scheduled to play a gig in RDS Simmons Court in Dublin in, in 1994 and sadly didn't didn't make it. Court was no longer with us, sadly, uh, at that time. Um, 8th of April, 94, due to play that gig uh, in Simmons Court Pavilion um, where so many great gigs have taken place, great election counts, <laughs> great exams if you're in UCD. Um, but I remember a, a, a girl I knew knew then she would only been would, would have been a teenager but I remember visiting her house with my family and they um they said oh she's not she's not here she's up in her room um listening to Nirvana and, and eventually she was summoned down and she was dressed all in, in black and she brought with her the the thick the ticket for the gig uh, she kept the ticket because uh, obviously the tickets had been sold um and and the gig never happened but people people who had bought tickets for that gig they kept them um, so many of the fans actually kept those tickets and that's a kind of just a little indication that this is a band that meant and still means you know so much to people um, but that's an interesting take in terms of the playfulness of it I mean it, Court was I mean the, the, there is a there was a there's funny stories that go with this band as well have you do you know the story Dan of the Belfast connection and the red and black jumper do you know this story do you know what Paul I'm really excited because you mentioned you had a Belfast connection and a Cork connection for the Irish yes. link today and do you know what they're not the Irish links I have chosen. Oh. So we, we have we have we have a, a raft of hot takes now. Tell us yes. about the Belfast and the Cork connection. Well we're quite we're quite provincial here on the big album <laughs> show. We like to keep it local. Um look, the 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 the, the Cork connection is is where where he's kind of from. And of course we'll get back to that in a second. But I mean, did you ever hear the one how did you know someone is from Cork? They tell you. Well, <laughs> Cork told us he was from Cork. Um, and also, you know, um, th- th- you know, there's, you know, someone else commented one time on Twitter about, you know, people from Cork think they're in Nirv- in Nirvana as well. Everyone from Cork thinks they're in Nirvana. But anyway, um, there's a great story about the red and black jumper, um, which you will is an iconic uh, jumper that um, Kurt Cobain often wore. But actually, it was bought for thirty five pounds. Um, by um, by uh, Courtney, um, who Courtney Love, who was attending uh, the Belfast show with him, uh, with uh, the band back in that would have been nineteen ninety two when they when they did their gig up there. Um, they had played played previously in Cork uh, the previous year, um, but by this stage things had, had got much bigger and they were at Kings Hall in Belfast. And yeah, they bought. Um, there was a guy who was only eighteen at the time, and he managed to sneak his way into the gig and managed to end up backstage, as you do. 
And um, Courtney loved, loved the jumper and she said, I'll buy that. And she gave him t- 35 quid for it. Um, and uh, he was a punk. And, you know, so that famous red and black jumper came from that guy. Um, his name just escapes. And I'm sorry, it was, his name was Chris Black, actually. And famous story is apparently he wanted it back. And then years later, tried to buy it back. I'm not sure if he ever got it back. But that's m- one part of the story. The core connection, Dan, is absolutely uh, fascinating. Um the, the, what, how it came about was in there was a 1993 interview with uh, a guy called John Savage from Guitar World, um, and they started talking about identity. And uh, Kurt said, "My parents never bothered to find that stuff out." He said, "I found out by looking through phone books throughout America for names that were similar to mine." And he says, "I find I couldn't find any Cobains at all, so I started calling Coburns, C O B U R N S." I found this one lady in San Francisco who'd been researching her family history for years. And Court later discovered uh, that um, Corburn had originally been Cobain, but the family name changed when they emigrated from Cork. Um, And he said that the Cork connection was a weird coincidence because when they had toured Ireland, they played Cork. And he said the entire day, he told this to John Savage, the entire day when I was in Cork, I walked around in the days I'd never felt more spiritual in my life. And um, so he was referring to that uh, 1991 tour with Sonic Youth. So that's his little Cork uh, connection. Well, well, not to uh, not to take on uh, our, our Cork listeners, because I'd never, ever do that. I know how powerful they are and uh, I wouldn't want to go down that, that route. But there's also um, a, a Tyrone connection because... Weirdly enough, strangely enough, in 2018, there was a Kurt Cobain exhibition in Newbridge in County Kildare in Ireland. And Kurt's mother, sister and daughter attended the event. Anyway, they claimed at the event that Kurt had himself, as you say, tried to look into his Irish roots before his untimely death. And um, according to them, Kurt's ancestors come from a town called Carrickmore, in Tyrone and emigrated in 1875. Um, so uh, I don't know are the Tyrone people are going to take on Cork, but I suppose you can have you can have ancestors from different parts of Ireland. Maybe it just means that Kurt is even more Irish than he thought himself. Another link to Ireland that I think is quite interesting is that you mentioned Courtney Love. Um, Courtney Love apparently worked for Hot Press Magazine, which is a music um, magazine. Wow, that's here the dream. In Ireland. Yeah, definitely the dream. Um, but hint, hint, Hot Press. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I tell you, right, so she lived in Dublin in the 1980s and um, in a few different interviews. And um, it's also referenced in the book Heavier Than Heaven. Um, it says that Courtney briefly worked as a photographer for Hot Press, um, photographing the likes of Toya Wilcox, The Pretenders, U2, and The Teardrop Explodes. Now, there was uh, apparently some people said they couldn't find any record of her actually working for Hot Press. But look, if Courtney says it, and uh, it's in a few different sources. It's certainly good enough for me, and I think it's great. And amazing to think she lived in uh, Dublin in the 1980s. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of Irish connections, actually. Yeah, and, I mean, she's a terrific uh, musician in her own right, terrific band whole. Um, I mean, back in the 90s, I mean, people will remember them. I mean, songs like Celebrity Skin, Malibu, I think Doll Parts was another one. Um, they were a pretty, pretty legendary band, and, of course... 
Um, she's very interested in critiques of the music industry and of uh, record labels and, and the effects it can have on band and on fame. So, um, I mean, when you think about it, Dan, there you try and sum up the legacy of this album, because my hot take on it really is that there's no end in sight for this album. Um, it's only really just the beginning for it, because it's gone, it's three decades, we're marking its, its forthcoming anniversary. But this is an album which generation after generation will discover and I think is going to is going to influence generations of musicians. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, the songs are excellently crafted. Like there's this kind of vision of, of Kurt Cobain as kind of, you know, kind of a messy, uh, you know, the, the ultimate punk. He is the ultimate punk. But at the same time, he was incredibly driven incredibly intelligent and incredibly hardworking. Apparently, in the run-up to this album, for recording this album for months, and um, the band practiced for about 10 hours a day, day on day, to get as tight as they possibly could. And, you know, sure, Kurt Cobain might not be like some kind of guitar god. Well, he is a guitar god, but not, but not kind of like, a, you know, a Van Halen-style guitar god. But what Kurt Cobain did for young musicians and young people is he brought the punk kind of um, ideology to them again. He said that you don't need to be Eddie Van Halen. You don't need to to, to be, you know, some incredible, not that Eddie Van Halen is bad, by the way, but you don't have to be some guitar virtuoso to play music. You just need to have three chords and the truth, you know, pick up the guitar, write the song, um, and once you feel it, once you mean it, that's enough. That that that, and and that's what Nirvana encapsulates, I think. Anyway, yeah, that's very much the spirit of the big album show as well. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 very well put. I mean, so much to say about it. So much you, you know, you could be, you could, but 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 it has to be listened to to be believed. Uh, never mind by Nirvana. It is. It, it is a roller coaster, Dan, isn't it? I mean, it's got it's it, there's a hidden there's, it's just there's hidden oh, yeah. there's just so much going on here, isn't there? Yeah, and do you remember you you the, the hidden track? I think you were gonna say like, do you remember hidden tracks? Yeah, like, hidden tracks. Some, I know, some, so strange. Yeah, some people probably don't remember hidden tracks. Like, so on a CD or on a tape, if you let the 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 CD play. Um, for about normally about 10 or 11 minutes after the, the album finished another song would would come on and this was uh this, this this happened on numerous um albums like it happened on ashes 1977 it happened on lauren hill's album it happened on um lo- loads of different albums at the time and the one at the end of the uh the never mind is one called the uh, endless nameless and it is probably it's a hidden track for a reason i think because it's definitely the most grunge <laughs> a, a, a song of the, the 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 album you know it has um very heavy guitars very very heavy screaming vocals and um, apparently one day um kurt just got really kind of tired and fed up of uh uh, 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 of the the session that they were they were doing that day and um him and the the lads just decided to kind of trash about um at the end of the recording session and uh the, the frustration you hear in Kurt's vocals I think is incredibly real. Yeah it's a it's a throwback to the slightly earlier sound uh, of the band as well, isn't it Dan? And of course 
the you know other if if people are interested in listening to Nirvana who maybe are not super familiar with them, check out check out their live stuff. Um, from the muddy banks of the Wishkadan. Do you remember that one? I do. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Released on record in nineteen ninety six. It's again just terrific. Um, and people. There's there's so much to enjoy about this band. There's so much to take seriously, but there's also there's another side to it, Dan, isn't there? There's a lot of messages going. Or people always read a lot into what Cork was saying. Remember this thing? Was he sending you a secret message with the lyrics in the song? You remember that kind of stuff? And um, but you know, I mean, for me, the 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 thing about this music is this is music. Uh, never mind this music that you need to listen to. You can't really do it passively. It's got to be sat down and fully engaged with. Um, so that so look overall what I'm going to say is I'm going to go and give it eight out of ten, not because there's anything wrong with it or because there's there's any flaws in the running like that. It's just it's very difficult to give any album for me more than eight out of ten. Um, but it gets a very healthy eight out of ten for me. What about you, Dan? Right, I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm going to go ten. Uh, not nine point five, right? Oh, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Wow. I'm gonna keep the ten. I don't know when I'm gonna use the ten, but nine point five because I love this album. Um, I think that I. I just think from start to finish, it's incredibly enjoyable. I think you're right. You kind of you listen to this album with the stereo blaring. You know, um, I. I think the songs are incredibly well well structured. I think, um. Wow, I just I just love this band. I love this album. Um and it's definitely if I if I was to pick like my top ten albums, this is definitely up there amongst my top ten. It's it's just uh it's it's brilliant. So nine nine point five for me. Um and um yeah, so that's never mind by Nirvana. Next week, Paul, or or not next week, but in two weeks' time, we have a very very special show we're covering an album by a band that we already looked at but paul tell us why we're doing that why is it that we're going to look at a second album from one of the bands we we, we covered previously listen back to our previous pod uh, um on free all angels um marking the 20th anniversary of that album but for our next pod very special guest rick mcmurray drummer of ash and uh, we're going to be talking about 1977 with Rick. So look forward to hearing any, if anybody has got any takes, any questions, let us know at the Big Album Show. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to those people who do support us and do comment. We very much appreciate it. Um, and we look forward to talking to you very, very soon. You're listening to the Big Album Show with Paul and Dan. Please remember to subscribe, hit like, and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at the Big Album Show. Thank you.